Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today, on a special edition of the program, we have an interview with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau from his self-isolation. We have a responsibility to make sure Canada is ready for all scenarios, and we take that responsibility extremely seriously. That's why today we're announcing a comprehensive package to address the impacts of COVID-19 on our country and to keep Canadians safe. Mr. Trudeau has announced a billion dollar aid package to help keep the coronavirus under control and assist workers who may be impacted by a quarantine. But are these measures enough to contain the spread of the virus? Should borders be closed or tougher measures be put in place? The Prime Minister joins us with the very latest on the pandemic. Plus, MPs debate further steps the government could take in the coming days. And then, damage control. These are extraordinary times. And that means we are ready to take extraordinary measures. Two of Canada's biggest banks are predicting a recession as the government announces emergency measures to stimulate the economy. But will the fiscal support save Canadian jobs and stabilize the economy? Former Finance Minister John Manley and former Industry Minister James Moore weigh in. Plus, next steps. Let's be clear, this is a serious public health threat and a crisis as well as an emergency. And everybody is working as diligently as possible to contain the spread globally. The government warns against any non-essential international travel, limits international flights to a small number of airports, schools are closed, sports leagues are suspended, public gatherings are limited. But is it enough to keep you safe? Former Ontario Chief Medical Health Officer Richard Chavis and former Deputy Prime Minister Anne McClellan weigh in on the scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. The Prime Minister is in self-isolation. The United States has called a state of emergency. Public spaces from schools to museums are closing. The federal government has pledged $500 million to help the provinces and territories to bolster their already overburdened health care systems and $10 billion for businesses struggling to cope with a volatile stock market, quarantine workers and the supply chain disruptions. But for all that, the question remains, is it enough? And while we have to be vigilant, both sticking to the facts and avoiding panic and irrationality, is the world prepared for what's coming next? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau joins us now for this exclusive English language interview from his residence. And I should say, before we start, that he put his equipment on and none of our crew was able to talk to him or touch him or, uh, to do this. And Prime Minister, we really appreciate uh, you making the time for us this morning. This is very personal for you. So I just want to ask, how is your wife Sophie's health and how is the health of your kids? Well, first of all, thank, thank you, Evan, for asking. The uh, outpouring of support has been uh, amazing. Uh, friends and, and uh, uh, folks from across the country uh, calling in, uh, sending us notes. Uh, we're doing fine. I've got absolutely no symptoms. The kids are, uh, are uh, similarly symptom-free. Uh, Sophie's got, mostly she's got a headache right now uh, and uh, feeling a little under the weather, but it is not, uh, not worse than, uh, than, than what is a, would be a bad cold. But of course, we're, uh, we're all being being very very careful and and that's what uh, that's what we have to do at the same time I'm I'm working really hard uh, making phone calls uh, pretty much uh, all the time to whether it's world leaders to members of cabinet uh, to our top science officials looking at uh, what it is that we need to keep doing what it is we need to do next it's very much an ongoing situation and and we're very much uh, staying on it uh, one last question just personally and we're glad to hear by the way and Sophie and the kids are okay and your family's okay. Donald Trump said yesterday, he said, I've been tested as a leader. A lot of people are asking us, 
uh, why hasn't our prime minister been tested? Why not? Uh, because the advice of our best public health experts is it's not worthwhile to test someone who is not showing symptoms. Uh, if it were to come back negative, it wouldn't mean anything because uh, I am in isolation right now and need to remain in isolation and that uses up a testing kit that would be better suited uh, for someone who is showing symptoms who should be tested. So uh, the recommendation is if you don't show symptoms, self-monitor, self-isolate if you feel you've been exposed, if you're told to, uh, but there's no need to get tested until you're starting to show symptoms. Prime Minister, the biggest concern now is stopping the spread of the virus. Most cases obviously have come from people who have traveled from overseas and have come back to Canada. Are you considering closing the borders to places like Europe or even the United States as other countries have done? We have taken some very strong measures and we are not taking anything off the table. Uh, we are looking daily at uh, next steps that we might take or we should take uh, and those conversations continue. But I will remind people that uh, when the outbreak first started in China, uh, there was a lot of flurry around people needing to close borders, that that was going to prevent things. Well, Italy and the United States uh, closed their borders to China. We did not. We had the best uh, advice from our public health saying uh, no it's better to uh, put in measures at airports and monitor people and that was effective in not creating a spike in cases in Canada. We were able to track uh, track people. We were able to contain the virus at that point. So we're going to continue trusting our public health officials. But of course, we're hearing the concern that people have had, the, the, uh, the shift uh, in posture from the United States, of course, gives us significant things to think about. And we will be discussing it later today, uh, among other measures, at our cabinet meeting. Oh, okay, you will be discussing that because look, many people in my own family have come through airports in recent days they have seen no screening nothing but voluntary suggestions saying things like if you've come from Iran or Italy or China which is now out of date information why is there no mandatory screening at airports why is there no mandatory even spacing slash social distancing at airports shouldn't that happen uh, that that is in the process of happening. I've heard directly from our uh, public security officials in CBSA uh, who are bringing in new measures right now. A lot of people who came back from, say, the Caribbean or somewhere else on vacation uh, have said, well, I wasn't really asked much. Well, they were not coming from a, a place of concern and therefore there were different protocols. One of the things we're very mindful of is we do not want public health officials to be uh, using up their time and resources at airports doing something that isn't uh, the the most impactful thing they can be doing. Uh, we need our public health officials, our doctors, our nurses focused on right. uh, the communities and on the supports that, that they're doing in the hospitals. At airports isn't necessarily the best thing, but there are more measures we're looking at and more things we're going to do. We announced we'd be uh, reducing the number of airports that will be accepting overseas travelers uh, across the country so we can better resource them to, uh, to process the, uh, the passengers right. the right way. Uh, we don't know what airports, if you can tell us, that would be great, but there's a lot of suggestions that there should be mandatory self-isolation for anyone coming back from anywhere in the world. Again, Australia's just done that, and they've done it with enforcement measures. Are you considering mandatory self-isolation for anyone traveling into Canada from any other destination? We are considering 
everything. There is nothing we have taken off the table. We are in close discussion with public health experts to look at what is the best way to keep Canadians safe. And every step of the way, we have and we will do the things necessary right. to keep Canadians safe. Uh, Prime Minister, one of the big... Uh, there's a lot of confusion. Um, that one province is shutting down schools, another one isn't. Uh, we're getting a lot of confusing information. Shouldn't there be, even though healthcare is provincially controlled, could the federal government, and should they, uh, orchestrate a, a totally coordinated response so there's no confusion that might undermine public confidence? Well, what I can reassure people with is we are very much coordinating at the scientific level, at the public health resources side, all of our various uh, local public health experts are speaking with each other. I spoke with the premiers just a couple of days ago. I uh, spoke with the Premier Legault yesterday. Uh, we are making sure we are coordinating our approach, but the, the, the situation is different from one province to the next. What might work or, or might need to be done in Nunavut won't necessarily work in Ontario, and that's where we need to make sure that people do have the ability to make the right decisions for their jurisdictions. But it is based on uh, c close coordination, close communication, and there will be different right. postures across the country because there are different realities across the country. Uh, sir, one of the big concerns is, too, uh, a serious shortage of ventilators at hospital for people who need it and a serious shortage of test kits to test people. Even places like South Korea want drive-through testing. How will you ensure that there is both not a shortage of ventilators and not a shortage of test kits? Well, that was part of the billion-dollar announcement we made on Wednesday to ensure that there is the equipment necessary right across the country. Uh, we're continuing to ramp up uh, our, uh, our access to those, uh, those items. Uh, we're making sure there's a careful accounting of where they are so that we can ensure that they get to the people they need. That is an ongoing challenge that we are, uh, that we are addressing, and we're going to make sure that people have the support they need. Are you operating under the assumption that the world is headed for a global recession? because of coronavirus and if so uh, what what would you do to make sure that our economy is protected I think there's no question that there is going to be a significant uh, global impact uh, because of coronavirus. You just uh, look at uh, look at what's happening around the world, and you know there's going to be uh, real challenges uh, in the coming uh, weeks and perhaps months. Uh, what our focus is on making sure that Canadians can come out the other side, that we can bridge our way across this uh, with the support we need. That means putting money in the pockets of people who may maybe can't work and have to stay home to take care of their family. Uh, putting money in the pockets of small businesses and credit accessible for them so that they can bridge a time where their supply chains may be disrupted, uh, their workers won't be in. Uh, we can create supports so that once this time of, of stress, of difficulty, whether it be you know, a few weeks or a few months, uh, Canadians and Canadian economy will bounce back. That is our focus and that's where we will have uh, significantly uh, mm. more fiscal announcements to make uh, early next week about how we're going to support families and, and workers directly. Sir, the, the big question is speed here. The WHO keeps saying you've got to move fast, not, not, not be perfect, but move fast because speed, speed matters. Donald Trump is saying, uh, he talked about a worst case scenario. Let me just ask you, what is the worst case scenario that, that you and, and that Canada is preparing for? Well, Canada's preparing for 
all scenarios. We have uh, we have you know contingency plans uh, for uh, a a low spread of the virus. We have contingency plans for a, a maximal spread of the virus. Uh, we we know that it is much better to stay focused on keeping uh, that curve flat, preventing and delaying people from getting it. And quite frankly, the efforts that Canadians have taken right now around uh, self-isolation, around uh, social distancing, has been uh, extremely heartening to see how people are taking this seriously, looking for ways to keep their families uh, safe, uh, resigning themselves to, uh, to you know, talking to their elderly parents every day on the phone, but not going to see them for the next few weeks. Right. These kinds of things are going to make a real difference. Uh, last question, Prime Minister. A lot of people are stocking up. They're panic hoarding. Um, uh, what is your message to people? That some people are panicking. Some people think we got to close the borders. Uh, there's a lot of fear. What is your message right now to Canadians who are doing that panic hoarding or, 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 or shopping and to Canadians in general? Well, supply chains have not been disrupted. Groceries are still coming up uh, from uh, from the United States, from elsewhere, and will for the foreseeable future. There is no reason for people to, uh, I mean, yes, uh, stock up a little bit so you don't have to go to the store every two or three days like we usually do, uh, but uh, make sure that, that you're not taking more than you need because uh, your neighbors or vulnerable people uh, will need to access, uh, access uh, the, the supplies as well. Um, being reasonable and thinking about the context we're in and not panicking about anything uh, is going to be really important as keeping us through this uh, as best as we possibly can be. Listen, I know you're incredibly busy and we really appreciate you joining us here uh, on the program this morning from outside your residence. Please wish your wife and your kids good health and patience in the coming days and uh, as we all get through this. Thank you, Prime Minister. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Evan. Thank you. Thank you. That is your Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Coming up on the program, could the government be doing more? CTV's Joyce Napier sat down with MPs next to find out. Stay right here with Question Period. Welcome back to Question Period. Look, despite all the warnings, panicking is setting in in some parts of the country because public spaces like schools, museums and recreation centers are starting to close. People are swarming grocery stores to stock up on supplies like toilet paper. Are we really ready for a pandemic? Is the fear getting in the way of the facts? Now, as I was away for a few days, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier had a chance to sit down with some MPs about what the government should be doing now. The public health crisis surrounding the coronavirus is deepening around the world, including here in Canada, where there are more than 100 confirmed cases. While Canadian officials continue to say the risk is low, the provincial and federal governments are ramping up safety measures, encouraging people to avoid large public gatherings, to cancel all non-essential travel, and self-quarantine if they're returning from abroad. But is it enough? Are we truly prepared for a pandemic? Let's bring in our MPs to find out. Sean Fraser is the Finance Parliamentary Secretary. Uh, Matt Jinneru is the Conservative Health Critic. He's sure. in Edmonton. And Don Davis is the NDP Health Critic. Hello to the three of you. Thank you so much for uh, you know, giving us our time. I know this is a very busy time. Don Davis, I, I want to start with you. You were at a health committee 
uh, last week with the health minister where you raised the 5,000 ventilators that are in Canada, a little bit shy of 5,000 ventilators. Now, this is a tool that will be needed should this crisis get worse, gets worse. We have heard from Italian doctors. So, you know, she said we will see 30 to 70 percent of Canadians uh, probably affected. Uh, the lowest count then is 11 million Canadians. Do we have what we need in terms of equipment to deal with this crisis? Well, uh, likely not. Uh, certainly not if we hit the numbers that the minister projected we, we could see. And that's why I asked the question is, uh, I think it's really vitally important, Joyce, that we get in front of this uh, virus. I mean, countries that are being successful in dealing with this are the ones that are the most proactive. And so um, making sure that we have enough resources, the equipment and supplies, the ventilators, the negative pressure rooms, the critical care beds, the masking is, is really important. But in order to know if you have enough, you have to project how many cases you're, you're getting ready for. And that's why I was pressing the government to say, what is your mild, moderate and severe projections for the transmission rate? And uh, it was hard to get that information out. But once we did, with the, the minister saying between 30 and 70 percent of Canadians could see infection, then that clearly raises alarm bells uh, about whether we have enough equipment and, and uh, I suspect that we don't at this point. So I, I, I want to bring you into the conversation, Matt Jenneru. The coronavirus situation seems obviously to be developing by the minute. Now, what's your reaction to the government funding package for coronavirus? $500 million uh, to the provinces who will have to manage this health crisis. It seems not enough. Uh, we've heard a lot about that, especially what you know, Mr. Davis is saying here, that we probably don't have enough equipment. Is $500 million to the provinces for this crisis enough? $500 million does seem a bit low in, in terms of, of who we've heard from, in terms of the projections of what that would cost. Uh, however, you know, the, the, the Prime Minister has said this is a, a, a first step. I think he indicated uh, so much on, on, uh, on Friday on his, his, his press conference. Uh, this uh, is a potential first step and the next steps being uh, making sure that we, we have enough uh, beds, we have enough supplies. Uh, to my, my NDP colleagues' uh, comments about uh, ventilators, uh, those are, these are things that, uh, that Don and I have been, have been raising for a number of weeks now. Just, uh, just making sure that, uh, that Canadians can be assured that, that, that our government, uh, their government, is, is working to, to manage this uh, the best capacity as, as possible. Because, uh, again, with, with the, the unfolding, which seems to be by the minute, we're, we're, we're really hoping that uh, Canadians, uh, Canadians are, will have enough supplies, and that's where we'll continue to ask these tough questions. Sean Fraser, the government pledged this uh, past week a billion dollars so far for health care, including $275 million for research. It went from $6 million to $27 million to $275 million all in one week. So something happened in that week that made the government say, ooh, this is not enough. We have to put a lot more in there. And $500 million for the provinces. Now, how did the government reach those figures? Why $500 million? And why these $275 million like that in a week? Uh, certainly. So I think the starting point for us is to uh, put as our, our top priority the health and safety of Canadians. 
Uh, the decisions that we've been making as we roll out the plan to respond to the COVID-19 outbreak has been informed by our public health officials every step of the way. Uh, $500 million is, is really one of the, the first steps to reflect the needs that the provinces and territories have flagged for us. And the needs in, in certain provinces uh, may be ventilators, while it may be surveillance and monitoring and others. Uh, should the need arise to go further, we will be prepared to act uh, and take the necessary steps. Uh, to your question uh, about uh, the need to uh, contribute to, uh, to research, uh, obviously the, um, the, the circumstances are, are fluid and changing uh, daily or, or even hourly uh, as we realize the, uh, the potential uh, for this to be, well, it now has become a global pandemic. Um, Canada has the opportunity in the research institutions to make a meaningful difference to solve this problem, not just within our own borders, but for the entire global community. Uh, by making a serious increase to the amount we're willing to contribute towards research, uh, we hope that uh, our Canadian professionals will actually be able to help contribute a solution to this uh, problem of global proportion. Matt Jenneru, I'm wondering about this. So we, we've got various provinces deciding various things at different times, municipalities, some provinces closed schools, then others, you know, followed suit. Are you concerned that there isn't sort of a more cohesive plan across the country? And, you know, considering, you know, our, our, the way our federation works, is it even possible? When it comes to, to jurisdictional breakdown, uh, one of the questions uh, I've been uh, asking the, the minister is what responsibility does does the the federal government have to to show leadership when it comes to mass gatherings to to large events uh, with without creating a, a sense of, of alarm uh, what what leadership role do do they have and uh, certainly up to this point it's been left up to each uh, jurisdiction municipality a provincial uh, jurisdiction uh, however it's it's certainly something that I, I think uh, is right begs a question on, on how much should be come from the, the top down. It's a, it's a, a tricky line to, to walk, uh, as, uh, as I know Mr. Fraser would agree, that uh, without setting off any sort of uh, alarm and hysteria, but uh, certainly these are questions that uh, Canadians are asking. We don't have a lot of time left, but I, I really want to go to this topic. There are communities, remote communities in Canada up north. Um, that are not as well served by our health care system. We all know this. Uh, this is for another, the debate is for another day. How do you deal with that in a case like this? Well, that's, that's a great question. In fact, uh, it's one of the prime lessons from the H1N1 virus where, where we, we learned that uh, public health issues like, uh, like a virus don't hit all communities the same and you can't have a one-size-fits-all solution. And in particular, Indigenous communities or remote communities where they don't have access to, um, say, primary health care or in the case of many Indigenous communities where they don't have access to, to clean running water or where there's 21 people living in a house and uh, you know they, they may need to self-isolate. These are, are all really unique situations and that's why in the house this week my colleague Nikki Ashton um, and Charlie Angus have been raising that very issue asking the government for a, a specific plan to deal with indigenous and remote communities who were particularly hard hit uh, with the H1N1 and uh, we are we fear could be hit more di more difficultly with the uh, COVID-19 virus. Sean Fraser quickly this European ban that Donald Trump uh, announced how much is it going to hurt Canada? Uh, you know, it's hard to predict uh, the precise consequences of some of the decisions that are taken by governments in other parts of the world. Uh, and uh, some people will even point out that uh, there may be increased traffic through Canada because of uh, a travel ban uh, into the United States. 
realistically, our, our focus uh, remains uh, as our, our top priority on protecting the health and safety uh, of Canadians. Uh, the measures that we implement uh, will take into consideration uh, travel patterns of folks. I know there was a, a recommendation uh, from uh, Dr. Tam encouraging Canadians uh, not to uh, take any non-essential travel. That may mean uh, vacations or unnecessary business trips, uh, recommendations around self-quarantining when you enter into Canada if you've been in another country where there's uh, even a single confirmed case of COVID-19. If we act responsibly, uh, we can mitigate the consequences. And we'll be, unfortunately, talking about it for a very long time. Sean Fraser, Matt Jedaru, and Don Davis, thank you so much for sharing these minutes with us. Thank you, Joyce. Pleasure to be here. All right, thanks for that, Joyce. Coming up on the program, the federal government introduces new financial measures to try and keep Canada's economy stable. But could we be headed toward a recession? Joyce will sit down with the former finance minister, John Manley, and the former industry minister, James Moore, next to talk about that. Stay right here with Question Period. Welcome back to a special edition of Question Period. Thursday marked the biggest one-day stock market drop on record. And while there has been some bounce back, there are now real concerns of a lot more volatility ahead. Are we headed for a recession? And what's the government doing to help? Again, as I was away for a few days, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier sat down with two Canadians with deep experience on these questions. The deadly coronavirus has crippled the global economy with sectors including tourism, sports and entertainment and manufacturing among the most hard hit. The markets have been in a free fall as global uncertainty and anxiety mount. The finance minister announced on Friday a $10 billion fund to help keep businesses afloat and the Bank of Canada slashed the key lending rate by another 50 points. That's another stimulus. Is this enough to hold off a possible recession? And is it even possible to predict what kind of hit our economy and indeed the world economy will take? Let's find out. Joining me now is former Liberal Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister John Manley. And from Vancouver, former Conservative Industry Minister James Moore. Hello to both of you. Uh, Mr. Moore, let me start with you. Is this rate cut absolutely crucial? at this moment and can you remember another situation where the Bank of Canada announced a series of quick cuts in less than two weeks? I can't um, but it certainly demonstrates the severity and the challenge that we're facing. I mean RBC, CIBC have both effectively asserted that we are now basically in a recession. I think it's clear to see that that's where we are and we will be for some time and the knock-on effects throughout probably the rest of this calendar year and spilling into 2021 will be quite severe for the sectors that you described, tourism, all the hospitality industries uh, and so on. So the, the public policy response from all governments, not just the Government of Canada, um, have to be widespread and all options are on the table. Uh, after the 2001 terrorist att attack on 9-11 on and again in 2008 with the worst recession since the Second World War, uh, both Prime Ministers at that time put aside ideological um, boxes in which they were uh, habitually operating and put the public interest first and considered policies far beyond what people sort of assumed that they were going to bring forward and I think it was to the benefit of the country in both circumstances and I think that's where we are right now in 2020 and I think that Prime Minister Trudeau on Friday uh, and Minister Morneau and, and the Governor of the Bank have all signaled the right signs that they are taking this as seriously as this really in fact is. John Manley, $10 billion credit uh, facility program for businesses. Um, is that just a start? That's what he announced, uh, uh, Bill Morneau announced on Friday. 
Is this just a start? Well, I think it probably is. I don't think we really have a good measure of how severe this is all going to be at this point in time. James has mentioned some of the sectors that are going to be immediately affected, and some of those are kind of self-evident, you know, tourism being one of them. And the thing to remember there, that's a sector where, you know, the, you can't maintain an inventory of empty seats on an aircraft. So Once what is lost is lost. It's lost. It's not going to come back. In the goods sector, then things can come back. The goods will be provided. They'll be purchased perhaps at a later date. So it becomes a cash flow issue. But I don't think anyone thinks it would be in Canada's interest for our airlines to fail, for, uh, mm. uh, for major players in the tourism sector to fail. So addressing those problems becomes critical. But also giving the banks the flexibility to uh, get through this without applying some of the buffers that have been imposed by the, by the financial regulators uh, means there's more flexibility, more liquidity, more cash in the economy that can keep things moving. But you know, uh, James Moore, I'm wondering, how do you stimulate an economy when activity is grinding down almost to, to a halt. I mean, people are told to stay home, don't travel, uh, you know, don't go to restaurants, don't go to bars, don't go to stores. You know, in, in, in this kind of crisis situation, um, is, is it even possible to stimulate the economy? Well, I mean, the, the, you know, the, there are fiscal measures that the government has, but they are indeed really limited. I, I think part of the stimulus is actually going to have to be the scientific approach and the medical response to this urgency where people feel comfortable to come out of their homes, go back into the malls, and get back into their normal or more normal uh, purchasing patterns. And so therefore, I think part of the public policy response and how the governments align themselves in the delivery, ultimately in time, we hope, of a, of a vaccine to this, and how we align ourselves in the delivery of public confidence in the medical and health space will actually bleed over into the economic space as well. So I think uh, wrestling that part of this down to the ground and so that people have confidence that they can actually get out and, and participate in the economy again is going to be enormously important. Beyond that, in terms of, of short-term liquidity for everyday Canadians, certainly flexibility in the EI system, perhaps a tax holiday. Uh, I mean, I, I think a lot of options are going to be on the table for the government to consider uh, in this dynamic because, as I said, we are now uh, clearly, I think, in a reci recession in this quarter, probably the next, maybe the one after that. So this is going to be a long-term public policy uh, requirement for all options to be on the table to get public confidence back. I think, Joyce, it's important to underscore for Canadians what our health authorities have been saying, which is they've, we're to take precautions, we're to stay home if we think we're sick, uh, but they still rate this as low risk for Canadians. So that it, it's, you know, people shouldn't, you know, be afraid to go outdoors. Uh, they need to take appropriate precautions. Um, and, you know, the social, you know, the, the, the two meter rule applies, but it's still, it's still low risk compared to uh, some circumstances around the world. Next week, the finance minister says there will be more financial measures announced. So we'll wait for those. John Manley and Mr. Moore in Vancouver, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. All right, thanks again, Joyce. Coming up on the program, schools in provinces like Ontario will be closed for three weeks. The NHL has suspended its season. The NBA has. The Junos even canceled tonight's award show. Is all this a sign of prudence or panic? What else could and should happen? The scrum weighs in next, and we've got as our special guest the former Deputy Prime Minister, Anne McClellan. Stay with us with Question Period.
on my doctor's recommendation, I will remain in self-isolation for 14 days. So as you saw earlier in the program, the Prime Minister is in self-isolation. His wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, has tested positive. But as he just told us here, in terms of the response to the coronavirus, nothing is off the table. Has the response been appropriate? What do we need to do now? Let's get reaction from the scrum. Stephanie Levitz is a reporter with the Canadian Press. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Joining us, of course, is our friend, the journalist and commentator Craig Oliver is back. Great to see you here, Craig. And our special guest this round is the former Deputy Prime Minister and Health Minister during the SARS crisis, uh, Anne McClellan. McClellan. Great to have all of you here. The Prime Minister spoke to us, Anne McClellan. I'll start with you. He said nothing is off the table in terms of health, and in terms of the economic response, do you think at this right. moment in the pandemic, the response has been quick enough and sufficient? Yeah, I, I do, Evan, but I think what you hear from the Prime Minister this morning is the fact that this kind of pandemic public health crisis changes almost by the hour. You not only see that here in this country, but around the world. As people are adjusting, as they learn more, they do more testing, they see how quickly the disease is spreading into the general population and so on. But uh, you can only uh, do that, which your information, your surveillance tells you, your public health experts are telling you. I think the government's response has been appropriate to date, but the mm -hmm. Prime Minister's right to say that, uh, that nothing's off the table because uh, we're not sure where this goes next. Stephanie, what do you, you, you watch the Prime Minister. What struck you about what he said? Uh, a lot of things. You know, his tone was one. He's very measured. He's obviously aware that he's a, he's the subject of a lot of focus, not just because he's the prime minister, of course, but because Sophie has tested positive for COVID-19. And so, you know, he had a chance there and he did it sort of at the end to sort of tell people not to panic. We have this under control. Whether people are listening to the government, that's another thing. I mean, there's certainly a disconnect between what people are reporting in terms of their ability to get screened, long lineups at the airport, whether measures are being taken there. He says nothing's off the table. He's watching what everybody else is watching, people panicking and knowing maybe the government has to step it up. I found what was interesting, yes, the tone was, was actually appeasing. I think that was, that was the right tone to take from a leader who's in isolation. When you asked him whether he had been tested and he said, and I quote, he did not want to waste a testing kit, I think that uh, shows two things. Uh, why would a world leader not want to be tested considering the circumstances? And two, is he uh, you know, signifying to Canadians that there are not enough testing kits out there? Why wasting? Why that word? And I think that is, you know, a little bit concerning. Uh, Craig, uh, there, the, the Evan, big question is I the adequacy. Uh, the great question, Craig, will be yeah. the adequacy of, of the Canadian response. What did you make of uh, it? Look, I think what's so important here is that the Prime Minister is providing reassurance and yes. confidence. Uh, he's setting an example, and in fact, he is an example. I think leadership is tested in times of crisis. Uh, we're seeing that Trudeau is meeting that for the moment, although this has got a long way to go and a lot of things could go wrong. And I just want to say that Stephen Harper in 08, 09 provided the same kind of leadership that reassured the country. Uh, Anne wanted to weigh in. Go ahead. Evan, I just want to respond to the testing point. What we're seeing across the country is people, and it's understandable because they're worried about their own health or their family, but people showing up and seeking to be tested when there is no reason for them Fair to be point. tested. And yes, there are only so many test kits across the country. Uh, and the Prime Minister is, is leading by example, again, that if you do not meet the conditions for testing, I am 
implore people to please do not seek testing unless you right. meet the conditions as set out by your provincial public health or federal public health officials. Uh, staff, and, I just, I just uh, you know, one last real question to staff. What questions going forward do you think the Prime Minister will have to face in terms of handling this pandemic, both health-wise and economically? I think those are the two big questions, right? So as we start to see the trickle effect in the economy, I mean, he spoke in your interview about supply chains not being disrupted, but you have a lot of small businesses now that are going to start to suffer as people continue to social distance. How do you account for that? How do you account for the salaries of people who are not forced to close by public health, but opt to close? And there's a distinction there. We're relying on a lot of community trust backed up by government And supply. provinces are talking about yeah. shutting down All absolutely right. everything, but pharmacies and supermarkets, right. so. Okay, I, I gotta take a break here. Hang on, we got lots more coming up. Anne McClellan, thank you. Then uh, we got lots more to come thank on this you. about handling the health crisis. Are we doing enough and where is this headed? Dr. Richard Chavis joins us next to keep the facts here. Stay with us on Question Period. I would say that it's safe to assume that it could be between 30% of the population that acquire the uh, COVID-19 and 70% of the population. Mm -hmm. This seems to be an acceptable range. I realize it's a large range, but that is actually what uh, what is our best guess. So the coronavirus COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc around the globe in countries like Italy, Spain and Belgium. The usually bustling city squares are echoing with isolation. The World Health Organization has officially classified the developing situation as a pandemic. U.S. President Donald Trump has declared a national emergency. So has Quebec Premier Francois Legault. Major events around the world continue to be cancelled. Popular tourism destinations like Disney World, SeaWorld, even Canada's Parliament buildings behind us temporarily shut down to help stop the spread. So are all these decisions working to, as they say, flatten the curve, slow the spread of the illness, and is practicing social distancing or isolation by doing things like avoiding large public events or working from home really the best way to do things? Is it even possible to halt the spread? Let's bring back the scrum to find out. Stephanie Levitz is back, Joyce Napier is back, Craig Oliver is back, and as I said on this program before, in order to ground our political discussions in facts and not fear, our special guest for this round is the former Chief Medical Officer for Ontario, Dr. Richard Chavis. Good to have everyone back, and Dr. Chavis, I'll start with you. You wrote in the Globe that there may be undue panic about this. I mean, you have a lot of experience here. Give us your sense of how we're handling this and where you think this pandemic is heading. Yeah, it's interesting. You said in the introduction that it's, it's the virus that's emptied squares in Italy. It's actually not the virus that's done that. It's been the government response to the virus that's done that. I think we've bought into to two paradigms here. The first is that this is a, a global health crisis. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, certainly strictly by the numbers. What we have seen so far in those places that have been hardest hit, like Hubei province and, and, and northern Italy, the numbers are not really very different than what we would expect to see in a typical influenza season, for example. That doesn't predict the future, but it does give it some context. The other thing we've really bought into is this notion that the kind of measures they took in China and to a lesser extent in Korea are the things that are going to, going to make a difference. Again, it's not entirely clear that that's the case, nor is it clear which of the things they did, because they did things differently. Uh, in different places are, are the ones that would make a difference. And we have a different dilemma here in Canada. We don't have a big outbreak. We have small numbers, of, we, have, right. we, have, we have very low levels of disease, and we're, it's not really clear when we start it 
when do we stop it? Because in fact, these, these measures come at a very substantial cost. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of questions about stopping it, but I think, Craig, right now, mm -hmm. the big question is, should there be tougher measures, like the closing of the borders? But, uh, you know, there's a lot of misinformation. You know, Dr. Chavez mm -hmm. is saying maybe we're over panicking. I think it's useful, it's helpful, and it's healthy to have Dr. Chavez try to head off some of the virus hysteria, which is mm -hmm. so much uh, part of our lives these days and so unavoidable. I mean, this was an extraordinary week. This was a week that the world stood still. And the motto seemed to be, on the one hand, sell everything in the case of the economy, and on the other, shut down everything in the case of the virus. And I think it's the uncertainty, uh, the fact that we just cannot predict where this is going, that's made so many people so concerned. But but there's a, it seems to me there's confusion, Steffi. You, you have kids, I have kids, we all have kids here, and, and you know, some Provinces, some provinces are shutting down schools, some aren't. It seems like you get a mixed message every one you ask for. What's your sense of that? And, and that's exactly it. It's so interesting if you think about it. You know, we live in a time where data is supposed to be supreme, right? Everyone talks about big data, following the data, looking at the data, looking at the data. But what people fail to realize, and I think we're here, data and feelings are not the same thing. Mm. And you can present people with as much factual information as you want, and if they're freaked out, they're gonna go to ground. And that's what you're seeing, right? Is people, places closing, absent the advice of medical officials who say, hey, you don't have to close, just make sure you wash your hands. People are saying, not only do I not wanna get it, I don't wanna be the one who gives it to someone else, right. and then I kill them. Joyce, should there be a more coordinated response so we don't see this kind of patchwork of responses that are, frankly, is, is unsettling to a lot of people? Well, yes, and you wonder why is one province shutting down schools and another one isn't, and it contributes to everybody's confusion and panic, I think, is what's happening. But there can't be a coordinated um, sort of plan in Canada because the provinces are the ones that run their own health care system. So therefore, the only thing the, 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 the federal government can do, for instance, is the $10 billion credit facility program for businesses or the re bank regulators saying to the banks, here, free $300 billion in loans. So we're talking $10 billion, $300 billion. And what does the federal government do? It's a $500 million transfer in health to the provinces. So is this, are these the people that are going to have the right. concerted uh, plan? $500 billion is a drop in the bucket. And I know Dr. Right. Sheba says we're all panicking. Why not put $5 billion on the table? And if we don't need to spend it, good. Well, there's a, you know, I, I think there's no doubt there's a lot more coming. We're going to get a full federal bazooka uh, of money on this. I think it'll be a minimum. Yeah, it'll be a minimum of twenty billion dollars, maybe thirty. Remember that in '08 we had Stephen Harper of all people bring in what was then the biggest uh, but budget deficit. But I'm just talking about healthcare here. But in '08, Parliament was sitting. What, Parliament what, could what, be held what to the problem? Politicians. What, what are the okay, problems though? here? Uh, is it? Go ahead, Dr. Chavis. It's it's a little like it's a little like playing in a poker game where yeah. you can't fold, and the other players mm. keep raising Absolutely. the stakes, and you have to you have to see them, and it's very hard for someone to say, "Whoa, wait a minute, we're going too far with this. The cost of the of the intervention is now is now is now greater than the than the than the benefits, and we need to we need to keep doing these risk benefit assessments so that we don't do ourselves more harm than good, which I think we're in real danger." Oh. Okay, but Dr. Shapes, just two things because that's the doctrine here. One, should there be a coordinated response so there's a consistent policy between all the, as Joyce says, we know it's difficult, should there be that across Canada? 
Well, absolutely there should. Yes. And, and I think that I've worked in provincial government. The responsibility for making that happen actually isn't with the federal government. It's with the provincial governments. They're the ones who have the, the authority under the Constitution. They're the ones who have to back off and say, you know, we are gonna, we're going to cede that. We're going to work together because it's in the national interest. Uh, finally, Dr. Seamus, I, I just want to ask you, and we talked about this a bit earlier in the program, there's a real concern that hospitals, and you were in the SARS crisis, do not have enough ventilators, do not have enough test kits. Are we prepared if this thing grows? Well, we have a, we have a very robust healthcare system in Canada, and certainly judging just from the numbers that we've seen from Italy, where the, the scope of this is not really out of line with what we would expect to see in, a, in an average influenza season, yes, the whole system should be able to cope. That doesn't mean that there won't be some hospitals because this disease is much more clustered uh, than, 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 than influenza. There may be some hospitals, I think there will be some hospitals that will be, will be, will be facing those sorts of challenges. That's a system-wide challenge, an organizational challenge to make sure that we spread the pain and and but I, I I'm not I'm not as concerned as some people are about that you know we're always going to have inconsistencies by the way it's called federalism and provinces have different needs British Columbia has got special needs with Americans pouring across the border who don't Plus, seem to care I mean, about any of this. If these numbers grow if these numbers grow exponentially as they have so far you know no system in the world no healthcare system in the world can handle that kind of surge. Not ours, not the Italians, and we should listen to the Italian doctors who are saying they have oh. never seen this before. There okay. are people uh, with the, experience. The, the, num the, num the numbers, okay. the mum numbers if, are not growing okay. exponentially. I said if. It's just not true. Well, uh, if, but, but you know, okay. we, we but, did this with yeah. SARS. Okay, we spent all our time with SARS with the ifs, and the ifs didn't happen. We should but pay we are attention told this is not like to the SARS. facts, to what is happening. It isn't. It's more like influenza, actually, in many ways, but uh, we should pay attention to what's happening okay. and not react with these panic scenarios. All right, uh, look. But these are doctors talking, on. not panic scenarios. There's a lot of information. and look, Do doctors, are, doctors are as prone to panic as uh, anyone else. Uh, Stephanie, Joyce, Craig, and Dr. <laughs> Richard Chavis, listen, this is a, a, a really important discussion. I appreciate all your perspectives. Uh, that's all the time we've got for today, but don't worry. There's lots more to come. These are difficult days for many people. There's lots of fear and lots of anxiety. Folks, let's try to keep in mind all the facts, not give way to fear, be prudent. For the latest information, please go to our dedicated website on this, cdvnews.ca slash health slash coronavirus. We will be back here in seven short days. Take good care, everyone. Take care of each other.